Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast, where we're releasing the good in cities for the good of cities. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In this episode, Good Cities President Glenn Barth interviews Brian Wilkinson, Director of Network Development for Viva. Viva is an international NGO based in London that develops cross-sector networks in cities around the world to care for vulnerable children. Viva is currently working with 38 networks in 27 nations, transforming the lives of children and communities. Hello, this is Glenn Barth. I'm the president of Good Cities, and I have with me today Brian Wilkinson, who is the head of network development with Viva. Viva is an international NGO in London that that develops cross-sector networks in cities around the world to care for vulnerable children. And uh, Brian comes to us from a, he has a background in civil engineering and has uh, worked in the construction industry for 15 years. So he's got a good mind when it comes to systems and uh, developing the kind of complex systems that are needed in cities to, uh, to help vulnerable children. Brian, tell us how Viva got started. Viva, uh, the story of Viva started uh, 25 years ago and has kind of gone down as folklore. Um, it started with uh, a young guy who was the founder of Viva, Patrick McDonald. And he was on a, a year placement with YWAM in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And he was working in, in the project there, playing with kids, and was kind of frustrated after nine months or so that was he really achieving any significant change or was he just kind of entertaining the kids? And that led him on a journey of looking for something more. He figured that the Christian church had been in operation for 2,000 years and there must be uh, somebody somewhere who knew something better. He started to hang out with street kids in the city and just listen uh, to what their stories were. And he then, as a result of that hearing, invited various project leaders for a coffee one evening, which is quite, uh, for me, a very bold thing in a different place in a different language, but it was nothing to him. So around the table, uh, over coffee, he, they got everybody to introduce themselves. And the first person said, well, I think we're the only Christian ministry responding to street kids uh, that actually go out and feed the kids on, on a Monday night. And the, then the second person said, oh, well, that's strange. We thought we were, and we also feed them on a Monday night. And obviously, by design, all five of the leaders in the room were all doing exactly the same thing on exactly the same night, but didn't know that each other was doing it. And so by the end of the evening, they each took a different weekday night. They took it in turns to cover the weekend. And so through just simple coordination, what you see there is you can increase the response and you can improve the response. And that really was the birth birthing principle behind what then led on to creating these different networks to bring in that sort of coordination amongst people who are doing great work but often in isolation and so clearly that has led through a significant process over the last 25 years to today we have uh, we're working in 27 countries always looking to develop locally-led networks of churches and organizations with a vision to have a deeper impact into children's lives through collective action. Uh, 
and therefore that's where we have 38 networks connecting about four and a half thousand churches reaching potentially two million children. I think that's remarkable. The remarkable part of that story is it started merely by this uh, YWAM worker uh, observing what was going on, asking good questions, and connecting with local leaders. And before you knew it, once he asked some good questions and got them to listen to one another, they came up with a whole new solution for how they might serve the children in Bolivia. I, uh, I think that's incredible. And the growth has been uh, substantial, although it has taken 25 years to get there. Today, you're in 27 nations with those 38 networks. You know, I was impressed with the four areas of emphasis that you teach leaders to engage in as they build networks to help vulnerable children. What are those four areas of emphasis that you, you put out there for the networks to focus on? Okay, well, we've had various approaches and methodologies to try to break down what we do. And this, this is the one that uh, we're currently using and we call it the four building blocks. Coming back to simple, you know, child building blocks. Uh, the first is connecting. The second is capacity building. The third is collective action. And the fourth is citywide impact. And uh, the significant thing is they're not sequential. Uh, we don't do one and, and over a period of time and then lead on to the others. We really try to do all four uh, right from the get-go in order that you can demonstrate um, outputs and activity across a range uh, of, of um, influence across uh, the area that you're working. So when you're doing those four, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to me. I, I know on your website, you, what you show on the website is that you are, uh, have different networks that are kind of at different levels. But I understand now you're going to be actually taking that off the website because almost all of them are working on all four levels. It's just uh, a matter of how deep they are into any of those levels at any given time. And often that comes with the length of time that they're working at it and the concentration that they're putting toward it. Could you share some stories about uh, each of the four areas and how you see those emphases being put into practice in various places? Sure. I mean, it, it, let me just pick up on that last point, first of all. I think, I think it's important um, that you don't wait for time to show progress. Um, what we've been finding is that we want to show that even, even in the first six months, by getting groups to work together, there are some quick wins that already have an impact. You don't have to wait a number of years to, for highly developed programs to actually show impact. And so we wanted to kind of um, dismiss the idea of maturity produces the best results. Well, in one sense, obviously they do, but we really wanted to show that even at the early stages, you can show success uh, and good results. And I think that's particularly with the funding pressures that we all have, uh, to me, that's been a very important emphasis in the last year or so. Let me, let me come down to um, the different areas. In connecting, um, this is this is. I mean, these these things are kind of common sense, and yet sometimes it's quite hard to do the common sense things. Connecting is clearly bringing 
churches and organizations together to support one another and to join together with a shared vision. Now, what we've always found is that you don't get unity just if you, if you chase unity, you won't get it. You have to have a focus or a cause that you agree on and that you can park your differences and address that urgent need. And to me, there's no better need than abused, hurting children. And that's one of the key factors that I, I can't emphasize enough. So as we begin to connect churches together, we have to sell the vision and the urgent purpose that we uh, have in mind. You then obviously have to sell the idea of how do you work together? What is this collective action? Because sometimes we've tried and we've been burnt. It hasn't been a good experience. And so we have to kind of win people over to the idea of not just working on their own, but doing it together. Um, so connecting is about communication. It's about vision casting. And my, my one example, my best example is when I visited a, uh, the network in the Philippines, um, Philippines Children's Ministry Network, PCNN, and they have 96 members. And I attended one of their kind of connecting meetings and they actually had 60 people in the room, which I was very impressed with. Um, they were clearly doing something right to, to get the 60 people. Um, and one of the things I emphasize here is whatever you do, whether it's in communications or whether it's in events, they have to be excellent. If you want people to come back again, you have to leave people wanting more and knowing that it was good. And I must admit, in some places I've been, uh, even halfway through, I'm wondering whether I want to be there. <laughs> and so this example in the Philippines was a good example. They just, they had four different things going on. Uh, they launched a new devotional booklet that they had produced as a network. They had an external speaker talking about changes in the law of mental health and children. They gave a number of network updates, including future events, and they launched uh, a major new program that they had funding for regarding online sexual exploitation of children. There was enough components in there that just kept people's interest, kept their engagement, kept their interest, and, and helped keep, uh, both attract new people and also keep the existing people kind of feeling engaged and connected. If we move on to capacity building, well, again, that's quite an obvious one. Everybody does capacity building uh, in their own ways. The one thing I would emphasize here is that we are also building the capacity of the collective. Um, yes, we're building individual churches' knowledge and, and ability, but what we're looking at is a bit like a football team. If you pass the ball to the weakest player and he loses it, you tend not to want to pass the ball to them again. And so you're, you're as strong as the weakest link in the chain. And so as much as we're building capacity of of the individual players, we are also looking at the collective identity and credibility of the Christian response in that city. And so if we want people to work together, they have to have confidence in each other. And so one of our key programs is the quality improvement system. 
And uh, the recent example I have is in India. We're working with 48 churches in two cities. We take them through six modules, including child protection, staff care, financial accountability, program design, leadership, and child well-being. They each identify three areas in each of those modules they want to change and improve. And the key thing about this program is they are mentored to actually ensure that the targeted um, improvements are actually acted upon. And so we do it with a series of even visits to the, pro to the projects to actually encourage them and help them to make those changes. So as a result, we actually have um, a staggering figure of 582 externally verified improvements. And that's like a 77% success from a training. All the targets that people set out to achieve, 77% of them were achieved. And I don't know of many training programs that can boast that kind of success rate um, six months after the program's ended. Um, and that actually in India was is a really important thing because uh, here we're on about um, complying with Indian regulations and there's many closures taking place at the moment for projects that don't meet the standards. And so this has saved a whole number of churches from actual closure. And so this is a critical aspect, not only for their own improvement, but actually for their survival at the moment. So, Brian, let me, let me just ask you there. I mean, that's a fascinating statistic there. What you're saying is, is that when the church steps out in faith and begins to serve vulnerable children as a part of a network of churches doing that together, uh, the life and vi vibrancy of the church begins to return. Is that right? Well, that's for sure. They have confidence in themselves. Uh, they can stand tall, knowing that they, they are meeting standards. They can actually encourages their staff, their whole administration. Uh, yeah, it, I think it, they, there's, an, there's an inherent strength and confidence that grows. Most of the time, we're kind of outward focus, having a passion and a heart for the gospel or whatever. But to have this, this strength of your systems, I think, is really important. What, what cities uh, was that in, uh, in India? Can you say that today? Um, the two particular cities was Patna and Ranchi. They're kind of north, northern cities. Well, thank you for, for sharing that example of capacity building. I, I love that. Uh, the capacity to do the work was strengthened by stepping out in faith and, and joining with others to do it. And uh, the, the capacity of the churches themselves grew because people felt they were doing something purposeful and, uh, and something of great meaning that had a good result for the local community. That's awesome. That's wonderful. What about collective action project? Now, is that part of that? It sounded like it was a combination of capacity building and collective action. Well, again, it, it, obviously, if you if you connecting with your purpose, uh, it's, it really helps. Um, one of the key things is, is the peer-to-peer -peer learning. Uh, there's, there's, you can teach so much you know, through lecture style, but what we find is that the members actually help one another and they've got strengths uh, that they can share their expertise and that really helps the whole advancement and builds this collective identity. So moving on to collective action, that encourages them. They've met together, they've worked together, they've trained together. And therefore, um, moving on to actually 
working out on the field together is is the next step and we build that through small examples to begin with one day events uh, then week events and then a whole series of of um, different programs after that where they've learnt to kind of trust each other and work together and that's an important piece because again most of us unfortunately start off mistrusting each other and so we've got ground to make up um, but this this area let me give you an example from I think Uganda this time um, and that's in the area of reintegration family strengthening and reintegration and in the network in Uganda we've got 37 different groups childcare institutions that are looking to resettle children that have been in orphanages that have families and trying to get them back into those families and in the last year they've replaced or rehoused reintegrated 222 children in families um, as part of that program they've got 40 churches that are working in the areas of child protection and they've actually introduced child protection committees in each of the villages or or kind of districts that they work kind of around the city and those child protection committees are i mean they're not necessarily you know they're, they're they're not just Christians, they are community leaders and volunteers. And those, there's over 217 committee members and they've handled 299 cases in the last year of child protection. With the same groups, they're working with village savings and loans associations. And those have got over 695 members saving and and working together in that kind of economic uh, family economic development and in addition they've got what they call youth ambassadors running safe clubs and uh, that that's a great mechanism where they've got 30 child ambassadors that reaching out to their peers um, and they've they've been according to the statistics they've informed 3,000 children and 800 adults about their rights, child protection, and HIV control and prevention. So that is another quite phenomenal program happening in Uganda. Well, that's exciting when you share about that kind of collective action and collective impact. It's, uh, it's well measured. Uh, what's interesting to me uh, is that it sounds like there's not much in the way of social work being done already, and that the, that the churches need to spearhead that to put the child protection committees in place. And I also like the fact that uh, people of faith are working with people of goodwill in those communities for the good of the community and the good of the children. Absolutely. Um, and this is one of the things you find is that many of the structures are there in theory. Um, and yet they're not followed up. Officials aren't able to make things happen. It needs um, drivers within the community to make uh, to help the community. Um, you know, that's, so that's, who better than the church to be that driver? You know what? That's true. Not only in a poor country uh, or a developing nation like Uganda, 
but it's also true in places that are well-developed in the West, like uh, here in the United States. I can tell you that here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, where I'm based, um, we have a terrible problem with foster care. We don't have enough foster care homes and we have a lot of children who are vulnerable. And, uh, you know, it, it makes me think that uh, the social care folks are, are in, the, in the government are being overwhelmed by the requests and uh, they need a volunteer corps who will step up and take the lead to say, we'll provide the families. Absolutely. And that's exactly, it, it's exactly the same here in the UK. And there's a, a Christian group called Home for Good that are doing exactly that here. They're encouraging, they're saying if every church took on one child in the social care system, we would empty the, we would empty the system. So wow. that's one child per church. And surely that's doable. <laughs> yes, yes, certainly it is. And, I, you know, we have uh, over 3,000 churches here in Minneapolis and St. Paul and Minnesota. And honestly, I bet the same would be true here. Yeah, so but that's the power of collective action. That is exactly another example because it's the, it's the when you've got numbers, um, almost the impossible problems become possible. Yes. No, thank because you. So as much. a single church, you couldn't possibly tackle, you know, social services, <laughs> you know, the number of children in need. But when you get a group of 100 to 150 churches together, any problem is tackleable. That is I the power that. of collective action. And then it goes to citywide. Talk to me about citywide impact. Well, again, this is saying that if the church is <laughs> um, the active group that it's meant to be it should be salt and light and there for it should be changing the situation and uh, so we're not just looking at pockets of results we're actually saying can the church change the bigger picture and i quite often look at a city and i think of you know there's a geographical kind of boundary and within that boundary there are as we said just now that a whole number of churches what impact can we have within that city? And so one of the questions we're saying is if, if this network is, is active, it's got a good reputation for delivering results, surely it should be noticed. <laughs> and if it's noticed, then it should be noticed at the higher levels. And to me, what I've found is if you add up this collective numbers, you find that the network is actually serving well, our average is of 45,000 children in that city. Now, there's no other player in that city that is reaching that number of children, not even the local authority, not the state, nobody. So the Christian collective is the biggest responder to the needs of children in most given cities. Now, the thing is, most of the time, we're invisible and hidden. And so my encouragement to these different networks is that we need to be taking our seats at the decision-making table in every city that is wherever they're talking about children, the, net, the Christian response should be at the table because we're the biggest provider of care in that place. So well, that, that brings us to our next question. You know, really uh, today, Viva is in 27 nations and uh, you have 38 networks. So give us a vision for the future of the work of Viva and of uh, taking care of vulnerable children around the world. Okay. Um, well, we're fortunate. We've just completed um, a 12-month exercise with the Sagamore Institute 
based in Carolina uh, in the US. And they've looked at our model uh, with a view of its effectiveness. And just from what they've said, uh, they've confirmed that Viva, where Viva has a network, there is now a bigger response of the church. In other words, more churches are active, reaching more children. There's a better response, better quality and holistic care, a longer lasting response in terms of sustainability, support against burnout, better quality of programs and better outcomes, and that the church has a louder voice. What was invisible is now organized and visible, and there is someone to shake hands with. So bigger, better, longer, louder <laughs> is, is the kind of phrase we've adopted. I like now, that. I like that. <laughs> Bigger, better, longer, louder. That's it. <laughs> sounds like the build-up. Sounds like the build-up at a, at a great football game in London. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so that gives us the confidence um, to actually speak out more. And we want, to attract to, we want to attract more investment so that we can build these sorts of networks in more places. Um, we want to build the ones we've already formed. and. Uh, then replicate it. So mm. over the next 10 years, Viva, we want to grow um, so that rather than reaching 2 million children, we're reaching 5. And we want to grow to be active in at least 100 cities, providing long-term, strategic, sustainable impact. How, how soon are you, are you aiming at that goal? That's in the next 10 years. I mean, the 10 years, the, 100 cities. At the end of the day, it's, it's funding related. Um, you know, we, you can do so much with voluntary input. And a lot of the networks, we rely heavily on the voluntary impact of the members or the input of the members. Uh, from our um, figures, you can at least double any monetary input you put into the network, you can over double it with in-kind input from the network members. Do you think and it could happen faster? Well, <laughs> I would love to do it faster. Um, it's just that funding is tight and not many people are willing to, uh, you know, input in large amounts that we would like. Um, we're looking at partnering with other agencies to see if they can take on um, the model that we've developed. And you know, the Sagamore is is demonstrating works. We were happy that other agencies would take it on, and we would you know support them with the technical input and experience that we have to date. Uh, that's a, an opportunity for it to grow faster. I'm very happy to look at that as well. We don't have to do it all ourselves. The whole point is connecting together and working collectively. So we've got to, we've got to be true to our own speech. <laughs> so, so, Brian, uh, if somebody was interested after they heard you on this uh, podcast today and they wanted to get in touch with you or with anyone over at Viva, how would they do that? Uh, well, the simple email address is info at viva.org. Um, if they wanted to look at the website, it's www.viva.org. Um, there's a number of Vivas out there, so you probably have to search to make sure you find the children at risk and rather than the vegan or whatever else is out there. Um, uh, yeah, either of those two, and you should find me. So your website does a great job telling a story, 
what Brian just said is uh, if you want to visit that website, it's www.viva, that's V as in Victor, I, V as in Victor, A.org. And, uh, and info at viva.org will get you in touch with them. It's been a pleasure to talk with, uh, with you today, Brian, and to be on this uh, Good Cities podcast with you. I, uh, I hope that uh, many hear about your work and are in touch with you uh, as people come to our website and, uh, and listen to the Good Cities podcast. We're glad to tell your story. It's a good one because we develop leaders who advance the common good and the gospel of the kingdom in measurable ways. And you're doing that. Thank you so much. And uh, God bless you and your work. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net.